Hello, hello, and welcome to The Art of Being You with me, Rachel Wortman. You guys, this podcast is all about learning to be who God created you to be, embracing that person, and ultimately living your best life with Jesus. We've got a lot of great content today, so let's get to it in The Art of Being You. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Hey, I wanted to say we have struck a nerve with this topic that we began last week. And if you've been following me on social media over the last week, we've been talking about sex. And this episode, last week's episode rather, uh, superseded my craziest expectations. In fact, it was our most listened to episode, especially in a short amount of time, which tells me something interesting. People want to know what God thinks about their sex life. This is a topic that is talked about in the context of pop culture and media and the world at rampant levels. I mean, it is everywhere, but it's not talked about very often by Christians. And if it is talked about by Christians, it's usually talked about in a very prudish manner. And so my hope is to sort of bridge that gap a little bit and talk about this in a way that hopefully brings freedom to you because God truly cares about your sex life. I mean, he actually really cares about your sex life. So that being said, before we go on any farther, if you have not listened to last week's episode, Let's Talk About Sex, pause right now and go do that because it is the foundation for everything we're talking about today. Today, we're actually doing a Q&A. So I've got a couple questions that you guys sent in uh, over social media, and we're going to be talking about those. And they will only make sense if you listened to last week's episode. So again, pause if you haven't heard that yet and go ahead and listen to that and then come back to this week's Q&A. So God cares about your sex life. We have to start with this foundational belief that your sexual health matters to God, but also it's not the only part of who you are. In today's culture, especially with the LGBTQ plus communities advocating um, for, you know, equal rights and all that kind of stuff, and especially exposure and normalcy, we've kind of bought into this idea that our sexual identity is who we are. But I'm here to tell you today that that's not actually the case. Your sexual preference is one part of you that God wants to redeem and meet you in that place in the same way he wants to meet you with your mental health, with your personality traits, with your spiritual life, with what you believe about your faith and everything in between. I like to look at the human as maybe like a 12 part person or a multifaceted person. And when we look at that, then we begin to see that the sexual identity of someone is only one quadrant of multiple quadrants. So what's going on in your sexual life, in your sexual health is not just everything of who you are. It's a part of who you are, yes, but it's not the whole of who you are. So if you're listening to this and you're saying, you know, Rachel, I'm not married or I have no intention of ever being married um, or, you know, maybe you are married or maybe you're widowed or, you know, whatever the case may be for your situation. And you might be saying my sexual health really doesn't matter, does it? Because I'm not going to be sexually active. I would say that's great. That's one part of you. So it's no big deal if you're not going to be sexually active. It doesn't mean that you're not going to fulfill God's call on your life. So we needed to get that out of the way. 
All right, let's get to a couple of questions that came in over this week. And listen, I want to tell you guys, thank you to everybody who messaged me and um, sent in your questions. They were all really interesting. And I think no one was alone in the stuff that they were asking. And as I promised you, they will be entirely anonymous. And I'm actually going to paraphrase the questions so that um, hopefully there's no identifiers that can give anybody away. So the first question that came in was about when you're single and how to overcome pornography and and struggling with pornography when you're single. And this is a really great question because the difference between overcoming pornography as a single person and a married person is dramatic specifically because a married person has an outlet for their sexual desire when you don't have that when you're single. So there's a couple of things I want to say. The first one is there is an amazing podcast called Marriage on the Go, Marriage on the Go podcast um, with the Slessingers, and they have a two-part series about pornography that is so good. So if you're interested in this or want to hear more about what the Bible says about pornography, I highly encourage that podcast. Um, and it's, it's really great. It's a great resource. So one of the things that we need to understand when it comes to pornography, whether you are viewing it casually or whether you're viewing it habitually or it's an addiction, we have to understand that the eye, as the Bible tells us, the eye is the window of our soul. And so what that means is that your eyes are like a doorway or a gate. So what you bring into them actually affects your soul and therefore your spirit. So it's important to guard our eyes and make sure that they are um, protected. So that's one of the reasons why we abstain from pornography. There's so many reasons, but that's one of them. Um, So here's the thing. Regardless of the season of life that you're in, The Bible tells us that the grace of God is sufficient for you. So whether you are single and you've uh, been sexually active and now you're trying to abstain, but pornography is a problem. Maybe you are divorced or widowed and so you used to have a very active sex life and now you don't. Maybe you are married and you're struggling with pornography. Regardless of your season, the grace of God is sufficient for you to break free from these cycles. This is important to understand because I can't necessarily tell you the exact tips to do or don't do to keep you free. What I can tell you is that through your relationship with the Holy Spirit, he will show you the uniqueness of your situation and what you can do to be in line with God. The grace of God will always empower you to stay away from sin. So it's not going to be, oh, a little bit is okay, you know, because you know you need it here and there. No, no, no. The grace of God is so profound that it will meet you right where you are and elevate you and empower you to say no to sinful patterns. Here's a quote that I came across this week that wrecked me. And I think this is so good. And here's what it says. God has never promised to deliver you from your friends. He always promises to deliver you from your enemies. How does this apply to pornography? Well, when something is your friend, it's very hard for God to bring you to a place of breakthrough. So if pornography is your friend, if masturbation is your friend, if sleeping around on your spouse is your friend, in other words, you like it, you want that in your life, then it's going to be very hard for God to bring breakthrough. But when you make sin your enemy, God can come and empower you to slay that dragon. So what does that look like? We make a decision right now. You know what, God? I recognize pornography 
is a sin. It's not helpful for any aspect of my life. And therefore I am choosing to see it as my enemy. And I'm asking you to deliver me from that. And you kind of draw that line in the sand. Um, you can do that with everything that's going on in your life, any type of habitual sin, especially if it's your friend, just remember, it's going to be harder for God to deliver you from it. Okay. Last thing I want to say about pornography before we move on to the next question. God loves you regardless of the sins you do. Sometimes what we do is if someone engages in pornography, even if they feel like it's just a casual thing, there's so much shame that comes in that makes you feel like God no longer likes you. He no longer wants to be you know, active in your life. He doesn't want to hear your prayers, all of those kinds of things. And we have to understand that, you know, your standing with God doesn't change when you sin. Your sin has been dealt with. You're standing with yourself and your standing with the enemy changes by the way that you sin. But your standing with God doesn't. This is why no matter what you're into, no matter what's going on in your life, you can call out to Jesus and he will move on your behalf and begin to help you get free. Okay, that's enough about pornography for this episode. Let's move on to a few other questions. The second question that came in is really, really interesting. And I think a lot of people, especially Christians, um, struggle with this. This question was about the shame that comes from uh, using to being engaged in sex and having premarital sex and then going on to be married. And this writer says that it's very hard for me to be intimate with my spouse because I feel so bad about my track record with sex. I try to avoid it altogether. And I think this is something a lot of people struggle with. And so there's a couple of things I think need to be at play here. Number one, if this is you, it is time to forgive yourself. Now, we know that we can forgive others. We know that sometimes we may even need to forgive God and we absolutely need to forgive ourselves. So if you have been engaged in something that was wrong in the past and you are no longer doing that, then the Bible tells us that when we repent of our sins, it was removed from us, as Psalm says, as far as the East is from the West. In other words, it is gone in God's eyes. So the only eyes that your sin is being remembered in is in yours. So then the question becomes, is this something you want to live under for the rest of your life? Do you want to keep punishing yourself for actions that you did when you weren't able to receive the grace of God forever? Or is today the day that you decide I need to forgive myself and I need to renew my mind? So this is my encouragement to anybody that struggles with this. Renew your mind. How do you do that? Well, It starts by this, have open conversations about how you feel outside of the bedroom. What does that mean? When you are in that moment, you know, I'm talking to married people here where, you know, maybe you're both kind of thinking, is tonight going to be one of those nights and we're going to be intimate? And then all of a sudden you want to unload some deep emotional uh, conversation about maybe past trauma or, you know, other partners or something like that. That becomes sort of an interesting turn in the night for the two of you. So I would encourage you, have conversations outside of the bedroom. Maybe you're at dinner or, you know, when there's no expectation of sex on the table and begin to talk about, hey, here's how this made me feel and make a decision as a couple about how you want to move forward from that. Um, Because the truth of the matter is when you begin to receive forgiveness from your spouse, when you begin to receive forgiveness from yourself, you can move forward. The other thing I would recommend is making sure you pray together and making sure that you pray together, even asking the Holy Spirit to help you wash out the memory of your past so that you can fill your minds with new memories of great sex with your spouse. All right. 
This next question is similar in nature, and it's about the True Love Weights movement. So any 90s kids out there or 80s kids probably were a part of this as well. This was definitely in my life. Uh, I grew up, I signed so many True Love Weights, you know, abstinence petitions. And this question was related to the idea that sex is dirty and this stigma that came in that sex is this dirty thing to be avoided. Um, and therefore now as a married person, it's really hard to break that cycle off of your mind that you're doing something wrong. And here's what I want to say about that. The True Love Waits movement, what, what the intention behind it was, was to vilify sex in hopes that it would reduce your desire to do it. In other words, let's make this something that's bad and wrong and therefore I won't want to do it instead of teaching how to master your passions, how to uh, withstand temptation, how to say no to things that are illegal in God's eyes and, and, and at the same time celebrating what is beautiful. So here's something that I need you to understand. God created the body to have great sex. And if you don't believe me, we can start with the Bible, Song of Solomon. A lot of people have thought maybe this is like a metaphor before between, you know, Jesus and the church. And if that's what you think, you're welcome to think that. My personal conviction and a lot of pastors' conviction is that this ain't no metaphor, friends. This was a husband and wife having some uh, texting conversations, raising the hormones and the intrigue and the desire before they went on to have some great sex when they got married. That's probably what Song of Solomon was really about. And so when you read verses in the scripture, which is in the Bible, what we see is a celebration of the body, of private parts of the body being intended for pleasure. This is mind boggling for us, especially if you're a nineties kid, when you're sort of told, and if you're a woman, that your female body is a problem, that you're the temptress, that you're the reason why men struggle. Listen, sisters, you're not the reason why men struggle because you're not responsible for them. Now, am I saying we should go around like as a nudist colony? Of course not. But what I am saying is that when we are doing our part, we're being, you know, normal people, modest people, not like prairie people, you know, where we're head to toe clothes down to the wrists and ankles. But if we're just going about our business and someone else, a man or a woman for that matter in this day and age, stumbles over your physical appearance, that ain't on you. And I know you may disagree with me about that, but that's just the truth. So at least that's my perspective. So the Bible tells us that the body is meant to be desired. It's meant to be celebrated. It's meant to be enjoyed. And if that's not enough, biology tells us that the body is meant to be enjoyed. Now, at the risk of sounding ultra awkward here, fasten your seatbelts. And if you're already driving, praise God, you already have them on. Listen, the amount of nerve endings in private parts alone is mind boggling. I would say Google it, but I'm really not sure what would pull up. So maybe don't Google it. But here's the deal. You have so many nerve endings on these private parts of your body. Why? Because God meant for you to have a good time with your spouse. So if the Bible won't prove it and biology won't prove it, I don't know what will. Here's what I want to say to you. If you are someone who has struggled with the idea of sex or maybe felt like it was dirty and it's hard to break out of that pattern, here's where you start. You renew your mind. I know we talked about this a minute ago. So how do you renew your mind about sex? This is where it gets awkward. You think about it. Wait, what? 
Yes, you think about the good times that you've had with your spouse. You sort of meditate on them for lack of a better word. In other words, you think about that felt good when that happened. I don't really like when this happened. So you think about it. I'm not talking about you only think about it and it's the only thing in your mind, but spend some time renewing your mind and having good thoughts come in when you think about sex. Here's what should happen in a healthy marriage. When you hear the word sex, you get a little bit happy. When you think about sex, you get a little bit excited because there's something that happens in your marriage bed that's so special to you and your spouse that nothing can compare with it. I'm not saying it's the be all end all or that it is God, you know, or or like a God to you, but I'm saying it should bring a smile to your face. Okay. So renew your mind. Second thing, talk about it. Talk about it with your spouse. This is one of the keys in breaking off the stigma of shame around sex inside of marriage is have the conversation. Hey, you know, when you did that, that felt really good. Now this just got so awkward and I'm so sorry, but I'm just trying to help you out. Okay. So have a conversation, you know, in in before sex, after sex, uh, outside of the bedroom, when you're just talking between you and your spouse, hopefully not with your kids around because that would get real awkward real fast. Um, so you're going to renew your mind. You're going to talk about it. And then this is a doozy. You're going to make the choice to believe what God wants for you. In other words, you're going to make the choice that shame about sex is not God's way. So therefore we can repent and say, God, I don't want wrong thinking in my mind. I want healthy thinking in my mind. Does that make sense? For me personally, you know, I shared my I shared my story last week with you guys, so I've already kind of dove into the waters headfirst of the awkwardness here. But a couple years ago, I decided I've got to break this stigma off of me because I cannot imagine living the rest of my life with this, you know, mind-blowing craziness that happens in my mind about intimacy. And so I began to talk to Jesus about it, to study the scriptures, to learn about biology. I began to talk to my husband about it. We would have conversations that were super awkward. They were really uncomfortable at the get-go, but they have led to such a beautiful place in our marriage where we've been able to come to such a better openness regarding um, this part of our life. And to me, I feel like we've been able to break off most, if not all, of the shame surrounding that. And it's such a beautiful thing. These are the marriages that people are looking for. This is what I mentioned last week. You can't have an amazing marriage without the Holy Spirit. And it's got to start with uh, breaking off the shame. All right. I know I'm flying through these for the interest of time. Here's the next one. This is a doozy and this one is a little bit intense. So I'm going to keep this brief, but there was a a question and I know several people have had this question about oral sex and is oral sex actually uh, something that's okay and or not. And so I'm going to answer this question in two parts in marriage and out of marriage. So I was the queen as a kid of trying to justify my behavior so that I could feel like I was in right standing with God, um, but not be in right standing with God. And I say that because there's something inside of us as humans that likes to do that, right? We like the idea of pushing the limits just enough to where we feel a little rebellious, but you know, not all the way because we know we're wrong. And I think oral sex is one of those categories. So if you are not married, oral sex counts as sex. It is not legal. In other words, there's like legal boundaries God has drawn around the body. So let's go back to Song of Solomon for a minute. There's an amazing verse that says, do not arouse or awaken love before it's time. What does this mean? Before you're married, don't go there. Guard that. Lock it down. Don't vilify it as something bad like we talked about a few minutes ago, but don't go there in terms of it's not for you in this season. 
But once that ring gets on your finger, and I'm talking about the moment the ring gets on their finger, not like the week of your wedding or, you know, a month before your wedding, but when you get to stand before God, you're both wearing rings, you've committed yourself together, then that is the time to arouse and awaken love. So before marriage, any type of sexual activity is not legal. It's not helpful for you. I believe we covered that mostly in the last episode. But in the context of marriage, we're talking about something completely different. I think there are different camps around the idea of oral sex because the truth is there's nothing in the Bible about it. There's some verses in Song of Songs and Song of Solomon in the same book that some people think might allude to it, but it's not black and white. So because it's not black and white doesn't really mean it's right and doesn't really mean it's wrong. What we know, Hebrews tells us that, uh, no, not Hebrews, um, the Bible tells us that you want to only withhold sex um, when it's mutually consented upon. In other words, I'm totally botching that verse, but I hope you guys know what it is already. But what Paul is saying here is that the only time that we make boundaries about our sexual life in marriage is when we have both decided this is for our good. So this actually applies to oral sex or really any type of thing that you want to do with your spouse um, that's legal. Now, pornography, in my opinion, is not legal. Introducing other people into your marriage is not legal. Um, But between you and your spouse, then there are some things that there's a gray area for. And this is one of them. Here's my recommendation. If you have your, if your conscience is telling you not to do something, there's your answer. So if you're not comfortable with something, then this is where communication again becomes such a huge thing because you know, you, there's nothing worse than feeling manipulated by someone to do something that you don't want to do even when you're married. So I think it's a good idea to have a conversation with your spouse. If this is something that both of you don't agree on, talk about why, talk about reasons, talk about, you know, the, the nitty gritty of it all so that you you can be on the same page and, you know, just know that if one person is not comfortable with something, then it's off limits. And there's a grace of God available for you in that. And, you know, if you're both comfortable with it, then great. It's probably all I need to say about that. All right. One final question before we wrap things up, um, for today. This is the last question. I think this is a really common one, especially just as we age and as life becomes, you know, one of the expectations, let's put it this way. One of the expectations that we have when we come into a marriage is that you're both going to desire the same amount of sex. Um, You know, that's not always the case. I can't tell you how many couples I know where one person has a much stronger sex drive than the other one. And here's the crazy thing. More often than not, it's the female. It's the woman who has a stronger sex drive than the man. And I know that this is something that culture would tell us is just not possible, but it's actually true. There's all kinds of reasons why men would have a lower sex drive than women. And some of them are just the way that you're made and that's okay. So um, this question was related to what do you do if you don't have matching drives, if you don't have the same interest? And again, I would say communication. I think you guys are seeing a theme here, but also, you know, in the context of a healthy marriage, there's a lot of things you can do that satisfy you that's not exactly sex. And I'm not going to go into the, you know, too many details about that because I don't want this to be super awkward. It's already crazy awkward. But the truth of the matter is, you know, not everything has to be intercourse to be fulfilling. And so I would encourage you, if you have different drives, have a conversation about what's reasonable and how do you meet in the middle? Because that is what marriage is, right? It's not all about the man. It's not all about the woman. It's a marriage of the two. It's a coming together and saying, like I mentioned last week, 
ultimately sex is about what I give to you, not what I take from you. So how do we get on the same page with that? Um, and especially, you know, for any men that might be listening, when a woman feels loved and heard and cared for her sex drive is going to grow like crazy. And that's a good thing. So Men, if you tend to your wife well, uh, you're probably going to find an increase in that. And women, it's absolutely okay if you are one of those people listening and thinking, well, yeah, I think that's true. I have a greater desire than my husband. It might not actually be necessarily true. It might be there's some systematic things that need to change. For example, what time of day that this happens for you, um, the rhythm of your day. You know, sometimes as women, we think we can say something kind of mean and then flip the switch and go into, you know, uh, intimacy mode and expect our husbands to just flow with that. And, and they're people, they don't, they don't always, you know, they're not always able to do that. So again, communication, I know I didn't go too far into that question, but I think a lot of it has to do with giving yourself freedom to work out something in your marriage that works for you. So a couple of key takeaways as we wrap up for this episode, the main one I want to say is there is nothing better than communicating. You've got to, I know that when you approach this topic, especially if you've been married for a long time and you've never really talked about it, it's so awkward. It's like, hey, can we talk about this thing that we sometimes do and we don't really ever talk about it? And you just have to think about it as breaking the ice. Imagine being this awkward around talking about your budget, right? It's it's budgeting and marriage is such a huge part of life. It's such a huge part of communicating over who spends what. Well, you should be able to communicate um, as freely as you would about what you want for dinner, about what you want in your sexual health. So that's one thing. Keep communicating. Um, listen, a lot of women think, you know, I don't want my husband to feel awkward or that I'm saying something that he's going to feel like bad about, or he's going to feel like he wasn't living up to some sort of expectation. Women, your husbands want to know how to please you. It brings them so much joy to know how to please you. And in the same way, it gives them permission to talk more openly about what they need. So this is such a huge thing. And the last thing I want to say, and this is so important, and I know it applies to both women and men, but for the sake of today, we're going to talk about it for the ladies. Do not bash your body to your spouse. It does not help. I think one of the big questions, and we didn't have this one written in, but a lot of people have it, is how do I feel free and vulnerable when I don't like the way that I look? And the reality is, if that's the case, then there's some image you're comparing yourself to. Don't waste any time comparing yourself to some like pornographic image or what we think a, a cover model is supposed to look like. Your body is your body. And the great news is your spouse fell in love with you. They didn't fall in love with some cover model, if unless that's how you look, you know, but they didn't, that wasn't what they chose. They chose you and they want your body and they're not closing their eyes, pretending like you're someone else. So the more you can embrace the way you look, every flaw, every little dimple of cellulite, all of it, the more um, you're going to feel fulfilled in your sexual life with your spouse. So ladies, don't talk negatively about yourself and your body image. So when you're communicating, when you're having these open dialogues about sex with your spouse, keep your insecurities out of it. Don't give yourself permission to um, you know, ramrod yourself and, and bully yourself because you don't live up to some invisible standard that is not even at play. Everybody's body type can have great sex. And I'm just going to leave it at that. 
All right. Woo. We have talked about this a lot and I hope this is helpful for you. My intention with this whole topic is to bring some freedom to your soul. I'm not doing this because I find it fun. I'm doing this because your sexual health really does matter to God and he wants you free. And a lot of times this is the area of freedom that is so personal. We often don't even talk about it. So my hope is that we've ripped the bandaid off and got you thinking and got you praying and talking to God about it. And we're moving on to a different topic next week. But you know, if you're listening to this in real time as it aired, um, and you want to send me some feedback, you're welcome to, I know it's hard to ask these questions to just anybody. So, um, just wanted you to know I am with you. I'm praying for you. And those of you that are married, get ready to have some great sex. And those of you that aren't married, don't. Don't get ready because it's not your time yet. But when your time comes, we will be celebrating you as well. All right, friends, that's all for today. Until next time, be blessed. So you've just listened to The Art of Being You with Rachel Wortman. I hope you enjoyed this episode of my podcast. And listen, it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and rate or review this podcast on wherever you're listening from. Also, share it with a friend. Help me get the word out. Until next time. Be blessed.